<laughs> yes, it's producer Nick back again, filling in for the guys as they're on their break. This is Clerically Speaking. If you thought you were tuning in to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, this is not that podcast. If you thought you were tuning in to Pints with Aquinas, <laughs> no, no, this is not that podcast. This is Clerically Speaking, featuring not a cleric, just a producer, just a humble producer who has offered to keep content going as Father Harrison and Father Anthony are on a break. They're doing well. They are alive and well, contrary to what some guests recently on the podcast have said. And they can't wait to be back with you again soon. Are you a parent? Have you been a parent? Are you a parent of young children? Are you expecting this podcast is going to be for you? We're talking about faith formation and religious education from the grades of conception to like high school and everything in between. It's a jam-packed podcast full of valuable information, so I don't want to banter too long. So let's jump into the best part of the show, the Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa The Summa Theologica was St. Thomas Aquinas's summary of uh, Christian Catholic philosophy and theology and stuff. Yeah, I still don't have the script. I don't remember what they say. I just produce their podcast every week. And the Summa Tweetologica is uh, when we read tweets. The first tweet is from at me cookie monster. That's a M E. C-O-O-K-I-E-M-O-N-S-T-E-R. Me Cookie Monster says, Me treating meself to all duck cookies today because me love me self. Hashtag Valentine's Day. You know, this is just great. This is just great. I mean, so many of us are not good receivers of the love God has to give to us. Because all he wants to do is pour out his love and pour out his love and pour out his love into us. And just when we feel like uh, we're not worthy or we're not good enough, those things are true. He does it anyway. God just wants to uh, pour his love out into us no matter how many text messages I get while recording this. (laughs) This tweet is for all those people who who struggle with the self-worth thing. Just a reminder, you are good enough. You are made in his image and likeness. And uh, that's just not a catchphrase. That's important. 
That's important to remember. I know that on days that are particularly bad for me, sometimes I will, like, if I know the day is going to be really bad, I will leave a Reese's peanut butter cup in the freezer in my house so that when I come back uh, after this bad day, I can reward myself with something nice. It's just a reminder to say that uh, when we don't think highly of ourselves, God loves us. When we make mistakes, he doesn't shame us like maybe our parents did or our authority figures have, your boss, uh, some kind of leader. No, he loves you. And, and that's cliche. We've heard it a million times. Of course, of course, of course. But uh, I think we can all get a little bit better on receiving God's love. Have, has someone ever complimented you? Like the first thing you do when someone compliments your shoes is you tell them, oh, they're from here. Or, oh, I got them on sale. Someone compliments your beard. Oh, thank you. I grew it myself. Like we respond with sarcasm or something. It's normally because we're not very good receivers of God's love. And I think Cookie Monster rewarding himself on Valentine's Day with all the cookies, because he loves himself? Ah, guys, I think that's good. If you are scrupulous and you, you work with uh, self-hatred things, don't go to get cookies because you deserve it, because you had a bad day. Don't do that. Go get cookies from the cookie jar because your Father in Heaven loves you, and you're allowed to have nice things on Earth. I bet you didn't know that Cookie Monster was Catholic. The next tweet is from Carl at Curral Catholic. C-U-R-A-R-E Catholic. Had to wait for a big funeral procession in traffic today. Had some normal memento mori feelings until later I discovered that it was for a dog. Oh my goodness, I'm a millennial, so I've got all the millennial friends out there who say, look at me and my family. And it's a picture of um, a man and a woman who aren't married and their dog, and they call it their family. It's just a thing. Dogs. I'm not a dog person. If you're a dog person, that's cool. Like, I'm going to say something controversial. So if you're a dog person... Just hang in there. Uh, Let's just say I walk into a house and you have a big dog and that dog jumps all over me and I am visibly uncomfortable. And you're like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that my dog is jumping all over you and scratching you and, and ripping up your sweater. And I'll politely say, oh, that's okay. Don't worry about it. You know what I'm actually thinking? Here's what I'm actually thinking. Oh, your dog's jumping all over me and your dog jumps all over me all the time. And every time I come over and you're sorry, hmm, maybe if you were sorry, you would train your dog better. Ah, that's what I think. That's what I think every single time. If you were actually sorry and you knew your dog made you uncomfortable, then your guests uncomfortable, you'd do something about it. Ah, I know I'm a Debbie Downer when it comes to dogs and really I think the reality is I wouldn't get a dog because I would get too emotionally attached and then if the day came that my dog died and that would be sad 
you know, people say like, oh, my dog loves me no matter what. I'm like, no, that's not true. Your dog doesn't love you. Look at last week's episode. What, what, what do we qualify as love? It's willing the good of the other for the sake of the other. Your dog just quote unquote loves you because you give your dog food and attention and pets and cuddles, which are good things. Those are good things. There are so many good psychological uh, benefits from having a dog, but your dog doesn't actually love you. And that's okay. Don't, don't be weird about it. Just say that you have a dog, that you like your dog, but do not throw a, a, a funeral with a procession of cars for your dog. You can have a little funeral in the backyard. That makes sense. But uh, please, please, dogs, dogs aren't people. You can love them. You can love them really, really well, and they can be good to you and keep you company, and that's good. But uh, having a funeral procession for your dog, man, I think it's overkill. Speaking of other things that I think, I think we're in a transition now. If you haven't turned off the podcast because you're so put off by my anti-dog stance, we're going to turn it over to uh, an interview that I had with someone who's in faith formation at my parish. His name's Jason. He's really good. And we cover a lot of really cool things. Now it's time for Pastoral Council. Ugh! And now it's time for Pastoral Council, where the laity are empowered to say words. Oh, yippee! Good for you, lay people! You have opinions! Ah, yes. Pastoral Council. I know it's your favorite part of the show. It's everyone's favorite part of the show. The part with no priests. <laughs> so this week, I thought I would... Um, oh, there's a lot of parents who listen to this show. There's a lot of um, young people, young families who listen to this show. And a lot of people just want to be the best parents they can be in raising their kids. In raising them in the faith. And so often we hear... Oh, parents are the primary educators of the faith to their children. And I think that's true. So to talk a little bit more about faith formation, uh, all the way from, uh, from when you're born to probably up till high school, uh, I want to introduce one of my coworkers. His name is Jason Gualdo. Jason, say hello. Hello, producer Nick and the Clerically Speaking podcast crowd. Jason, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you an avid listener of Clerically Speaking? I'm a casual listener. What's your favorite part about Clerically Speaking? What is my favorite part about Clerically Speaking? I got a, I got a confession. It's not banter. I'm not a big banter guy. Yeah, wow. Yeah. So the personality part is not your favorite part? No. Okay, because most of what I do on this, this show <laughs> right now is banter. So you would not like this show, unless you like listening to yourself. Well, you know, sometimes I listen to myself. No, I don't actually ever do that. <laughs> so, um, Jason, you've been the uh, director of faith formation at St. John and Paul Parish in Wexford for like what now? Like how many years? Five. Okay, cool. Five years. So I'm just, tell me what you think of this. Mm -hmm. Faith formation is all about getting kids in K through five to sit in front. No, K through eight. 
to sit down in quiet, to come to the church to sit down in quiet, and to study out of textbooks. That is the best way for us to pass on the faith to our young kids. What do you think? I think that is absolutely correct. Oh, really? If we want to keep hemorrhaging kids out of the church. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> yeah, I think uh, the, the, I don't know, I don't know if there's studies or not, but the, the experience of the church has shown that that just doesn't work. Um, you know, depending on who you listen to, we are hemorrhaging like 85% of kids out of the church after confirmation. And I would, I would say that we're hemorrhaging those kids before confirmation. They are mentally disassociating from the church in fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, hanging in there for confirmation. And that's kind of their last thing that they do before they just sail off into the sunset. Wow. That's, that's bleak. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So what's your approach then? Like, uh, if it's not just sitting down, getting hit with rulers on your fingers, if you're not studying or paying attention, um, what's the overall approach? What's the overall goal? Like, is there any hope for our, our children, our youths? <laughs> there is lots of hope, but it's only found in Jesus Christ. It's not found in a textbook. And that's the problem that I have with a textbook approach to faith formation. The whole point of catechesis the church says over and over and over again in all these documents is not to transfer information there is an informational portion of it yeah there's a deposit of faith there's clearly defined doctrines and dogmas and all that kind of stuff but the point of catechesis is to put people in intimate contact with a person named jesus christ so when does that process start uh when do you think that process starts as soon as you're conceived Okay. <laughs> wow, we're going to do a spicy podcast. <laughs> okay, so you're a parent, you're expecting. Uh-huh. What should, like, ultimately, like, what should the church offer? What can the church offer? What should parishes be looking at? I mean, what do you think, like, from the very, very beginning? Some things that people are overmissing, some things that you think you might be doing well at the parish? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I was somewhat tongue in cheek saying at conception, but I think there's truth to that. There's. I think what a parish can do is help parents connect the dots, especially around the conception of their first child, because that's when you're starting to do all sorts of research into child development. And should we do we play mock or or mock or Mozart? What was that? Bach, Bach or Mozart? There we go. Yeah. <laughs> right. What what classical music do we play for this kid in the womb? Um, you know, looking for all that stuff. All the research behind the benefits of reading to your kid in the womb, playing music for your kid in the womb, all applies to praying with your child in the womb, reading scripture with your child in the womb. All that stuff can happen right away. So you don't have to wait till you have a fully born human being to start forming them in faith. Wow. You can go to mass with your baby in the womb. And guess what? Your baby goes to mass. That's wild. Okay, cool. So um, then what? All right, baby's born. Yeah. Baby's baptized. Yeah, baby's got Jesus living inside him or did her. It, did, I, did I miss anything? Are there any like stages there that, we, that parents should be looking for or... I think, so I try to tell our parents this in baptism prep classes when like half of them are coming to us with the the child's already been born, the other half, baby's still in utero. And I try to tell them to either remember when they first held their child or think of what it's going to be like the first time they hold their child. You got this little being who has, especially for mom, right, caused morning sickness and body image issues and you need to buy a whole new wardrobe like six different times and you're sick and your back hurts and you haven't even gotten to labor and delivery yet. And then this thing is born and throws up all over you, keeps you awake at night, won't settle into a rhythm and a routine, but you look at this baby and you can't help but love them. Mm. 
that's the image of God. That's the way God looks at us. He sees all of our dysfunction, all of our nastiness, all of our stupid sins that we frankly haven't even thought of committing yet. And he still loves us. And wow. that's the image of God that we want to try to give to our children. Shoo. So in a way, like the experience of having kids is kind of a formative experience in the faith for the parent. Yep. And I don't know if those those lines are or that those thoughts are like necessarily connected for most people. It wouldn't be for me naturally, because yep. I think in the midst of uh, a baby puking on me, I'd, I'd be like, oh, this is just puke yep. and it's just bad. <laughs> Uh, but to relate that somehow to my faith, I mean, gosh, you're already starting the relationship process of giving and receiving love from your kid. Yeah. Neat. And that's what doesn't come across in a textbook. So try, trying to leave this all to a textbook isn't going to work. Wow. Okay. Uh, I think that God means it quite literally when he refers to himself as our father. Uh, and this concept of the church as his family and Jesus as our brother. and We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't think any of that is a metaphor. I think it's just raw spiritual truth <laughs> all right so give me a concrete example of the family with with in the relationship with the church with your family uh and your wife and your kids because I, I see what you're trying to do by making it concrete but i i just need a concrete example yeah so like a concrete example of kind of being the church in the home yeah yeah, so that can be anything from, so it's interesting you're asking this because I'm currently digging into uh, some stuff being presented by Dr. Greg Popcheck and his wife, Lisa. Um, they are Catholic psychologists and they're presenting this whole idea of renewing family ministry. And they have this interesting, fascinating concept of family life, uh, family life as a domestic church, but also as domestic liturgy. Wow. So like as baptized Christians, um, baptized Christians in households, all right, I've got five kids, you're married, hoping to have kids in the future. Like we are the priests of our household, us and our wives. Wow. Uh, and priests have to celebrate liturgy, right? So mm -hmm. the ordained priests celebrate liturgy in a church at an altar uh, or the paraliturgical services. But what is the, the liturgy appropriate to the priest of the domestic church? Wait, so I'm a priest? You are a priest. So this is still clerically this speaking? This is still clerically speaking. <gasps> wow. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Oh, there are so many priests shaking their heads right now. Uh, anyway, and just for theological clarity, it's a it's a substantively different type of priesthood than the ordained priesthood. Substantively different type of liturgy than yeah, the church's yeah, liturgy. Yeah, yeah, blah blah blah, go. whatever. Gotta okay, say all the theological. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I don't care. I just heard I'm a priest, yep. and that means I get to. So I, I've heard about this. Like, dads can give blessings. Yeah, Question mark? moms too. How about that? To With, who? To like my next door neighbor? You can, but mostly to your children <laughs> okay, <laughs> and to okay. each other. You've got a spiritual authority within your household to bless. Okay. So how would I, oh my gosh, I don't even know how I would do that. I am just now hearing that I can give, give blessings. So like if I'm like, let's say I have a kid and I want to bless them. I mean, do you do that Ezekiel prayer? Like, may the, may the, oh, I don't know. May, may God <laughs> bless you. Numbers. May his authority, may yeah. something rest upon you. Yep. This, so this is my blessing for my kids every night. I go to each one of my five kiddos. I trace the sign of the cross on their head with holy water uh, or sometimes their arm because I can't reach their head if they're on the top of the triple bunk. Uh, <laughs> and I say, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you kindly and give you peace. Wow. Do they receive, like, when do you start doing that? Like, probably when they're born, right? Yep. Yeah, right away. Now, do they, 
respond well to it now? Is it like a roll your eyes moment? Is it a tender moment in your family? It's a tender moment. Even my nine-year-old, um, she loves it because um, there, there's physical contact there. There's a blessing. And sometimes I'll substitute a sporadic blessing. You know, if we've had a particularly rough day, um, I'll use it as a moment to affirm. You know, if I just had a fight with my nine-year-old about something, yeah. I'll use it as a moment. Instead of the may the Lord bless you and keep you, I'll just lay a hand on her head and say, Lord, we had a rough night. I just want you to, to bless my daughter, let her know that she is my beloved daughter, she's your beloved daughter, uh, and that there's nothing she can do that will take either of our love away. Uh, please give her restful sleep. Right. So, like, man, I can see myself praying with my, my future kids, and, and hopefully we have kids. Um, someone recently told me, like, children are not a right which is so frightening. It's just like, but I did the things. I got married. I did the stuff. But uh, so, uh, but like, so I can see myself praying, praying for my children in front mm -hmm. of my children. But the act of giving a bless blessing, like, I'm like, uh, part of me is thinking, Jason, is that some Protestant stuff? Mm. That, that's my gut reaction. I, I'm yeah. being totally honest. Like, because as much as I make fun of, you know, priests on this podcast, it, because it's it's fun to make fun of priests on this podcast while I'm taking, while Father Anthony and Father Harrison are, are arresting, um, I, I have such a respect for their authority to do things. And I think it comes down to that, that word authority. Mm -hmm. um, can you somehow assure me that, that I'm allowed to, to bless my kids and say that, that blessing? Because like, it just doesn't sound you know, Catholic for yeah. some reason to me. Is that weird? Is that weird? Is that a yeah, thing no. that you come across with other parents? I think there's probably a lot of people in a similar boat because they don't hear too frequently that as a parent, you're a priest of your, your domestic church, uh, that you have a spiritual authority over children, that you can bless them. Um, I would, I'd point to a couple of sources. One would be uh, the Old Testament, especially. Like you see the patriarchs going around blessing their kids all over the place, right? Mm -hmm. That's the, at the root of... of uh, Jacob and Esau's dispute is this blessing of the firstborn son that, you know, one son gets duped out of this blessing and all this sort of stuff. Right. So there's all these cool biblical blessings um, throughout the Old Testament, especially. And that's what got me. I used to just bless my kids with a generic God bless you. Mm -hmm. But then after reading through some of these Old Testament parent blessings over their kids, I was like, I like the wording of some of these things. Hmm. So I've, at times I've gone through um, uh some some rendition of uh, may the Lord make your path straight and prosper your way because I believe that was Jacob's blessing of one of his kiddos at some point. Wow. Um, so that's one source is the Old Testament. Uh, another source would be a book that you just pulled out, the Catholic Household Book of Blessings and Prayers. Okay, so I'm looking at this book. It's it's got a recommendation for, or a, a a a Pope Benedict quote on it, so it's got to be legit, right? It's legit. Yeah, it's, it's basically a, like a Catholic book of blessings. Okay. Uh, Pope Benedict says, prayer is the contemplation of the mystery of God and the wonders that he works in the history of salvation. I guess it's just a con like a regular quote about about prayer in general, but like, what kind of things can I find in this book? You can find so many cool things. That's what I like about it is it suggests multiple times for family prayer and blessings uh, that you might not think about. Like it's it's a it's a, a home version of the book of blessings. So you'll find a prayer in there to bless a boat or fishing equipment or, or farming equipment or whatever. But especially the section on blessings for Catholic living, it's blessings for when you're hoping to conceive a child. There's prayers that a couple can pray together. Blessings leading up to labor and delivery. Blessings for receiving your child into your home. Blessings at the time of adoption. I'm looking here and it says uh, President's Day Blessing. And yeah. It's the words of Archbishop John Carroll, the first bishop, yeah. a Jesuit, not by name because I think they were 
like dismissed or whatever at that time. They were defunct at that time before mm-hmm. they before they made their grand glorious comeback. By the way, Nick Sharap is pro Jesuit. I know. <laughs> I know all of you out there are like, <laughs> so he's crazy. No, Jesuits are good. We like Jesuits. Um Wow, okay, so this is like a whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um it's neat. not a whole it's not a whole book of blessings. It's mostly prayers, prayer services for the home. Mm-hmm. But there are instances where where it'll it'll tell you in the rubrics it actually has some rubrics in it. Most of the time it'll tell you the the parent or the celebrant, the one leading the prayer, says these words with hands folded. Right now, normally when a priest blesses something, he has hands extended over it. So you're not a a ordained priest, so you're not extending your hands over something, except when you're blessing your children. Wow. So these things matter. Yeah. So you know how like. Oh, traditionists will say, what is it? Read the, read the red, do the black, yeah. or was it read the black, do the red? Read the red, say the black. So if you, if you were going to partake in blessings and you want to do it good, like you want to do it correct, basic guidelines before you buy the book, Catholic Household Blessings and Prayers, um, would be um, only bless your kids. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can always... You know, the Bible says we're supposed to be a blessing and to bless other people. So you can always fire your lay blessings at people and see what the Lord does with that. But <laughs> He'll probably redeem it. <laughs> but you don't want to go around like a like a crazy person impersonating a priest. Yep. Okay. Yep. So like I don't do the whole sign of the cross with the hand thing while I'm blessing my kids. I'll touch their forehead and trace the sign of the cross on them, which is a gesture that we do in baptism as well. Uh, but I don't like hold my hand out in the air and, and bless them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit because I can't do that. Wow. Okay. So, I mean, I guess if you're interested in, in doing this, buy the buy the book Catholic Household Blessings and Prayers. Um, that's pretty neat. Okay. So that's one thing you can do for like that very, very early age. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about our Holy Half Hour and what that looks like? Yeah. Holy Half Hour is this awesome group that meets every Thursday at 10 a.m., uh, and it wasn't like the parish didn't start it up. It was a, a, a bunch of moms, uh, some seasoned moms and some young moms who decided we want to try to introduce little kids to Eucharistic adoration. But we realized it's a terrifying experience for a parent of a young child to walk into a silent adoration chapel for any period of time <laughs> and try to keep their child quiet and still for an hour. I can only imagine like um, I have a tough time praying in silence when there's no one else around and I have every ability to focus. And then you have kids squirming and making noises. And then there's other people in the chapel and you don't want to disrupt them. And so it's this whole big uh, mess. Mm-hmm. So what does this look like? I mean, what, how do the kids pray? How to... It's a big old hot mess. Yeah? <laughs> Which is awesome. We probably need to do a better job of letting people at large know that this is going on beforehand. So if you just stumbled on our adoration and came in for a holy half hour, you might be a little surprised. So they start outside the chapel first. We try to quiet the kids down. We speak to them in a whisper so they're paying more attention. And they kind of model for them the prayer. And we have a glass door on the grotto chapel so you can see the Eucharist and the monstrance from there. Mm. And so they do this whole, who, what is that in there? What's that shiny? Gl-? Oh, yes, that's called a monstrance. And who is that inside it? That's Jesus. What shape is he? He's hiding in a circle. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. He's wearing a costume. Um, and then they review basic behavior for when they go in there. Uh, and then they don't sit in the pews. They sit on the floor right around the altar. Mm-hmm. So the kids can get nice and close to, to Jesus in the Eucharist. And then they read some Bible stories, teach them some basic prayers. We ask kids for prayer intentions. It's awesome asking like two and three-year-olds what to pray for. Cause what what I, are some fun things that you've heard two and three-year-olds pray for? Oh, gosh. Well, my own three-year-old has been praying that I don't die like Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's so kind. <laughs> right? And then I always have this conflict, like dying like Jesus, like being a martyr. That's a good thing. But I, I can't tell my three-year-old that. But I, I don't want to be a martyr, but I should be okay with being like. <laughs> so my three-year-old is challenging my faith. <laughs> like, I, I hope your kids aren't like that type of prophet. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? I hope they're just real good intention. <laughs> yep. Wow. <laughs> Or they'll pray that, you know, the goon doesn't get them. My, my three-year-old is obsessed with goons right now. She's convinced there are goons hiding everywhere trying to get her. Wow. Maybe that says something about the way we parent. I don't know. I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> no, it says something about the way her siblings try to get her to do what they want. <clears throat> that makes sense. You can manipulate a lot of kids by saying that goons exist. Yep. So, yeah, you get prayers like that. You'll get prayers for, you know, my grandma's sick or some kids will just throw out there. I want to pray for my grandma's conversion because she doesn't believe in Jesus. You're like, wow, what? you're, you're two. <laughs> you got kids doing that? Oh, yeah. So, like, the contemplative life, like, contemplation being a relationship, how early do you see signs of that forming in kids? I think right away. Um, I think we sometimes lose track of the fact that kids, you know, if, you've, if you've been around church, churchy people enough, you'll, you'll hear plenty of times, like, the kids don't differentiate that the priest isn't God. They think the priest is God. Yeah. Um, with babies and infants and stuff like that, like little, little, little ones, like their parents are God to them. Wow. We're like a, a sacrament of God, if you will. Um, Cause they're not abstract thinkers yet. Right. We're the ones who provide for them. We're the ones that love them. We're the ones that care for them. Um, so you're kind of a, a living image of God in your own household as a parent. Wow. Which means even if you're not intentionally walking your kids through the Baltimore Catechism or whatever, you are in fact catechizing your kids just by being their parents. That's fascinating. Okay, so I heard this story once. It's from my friend Taylor McKeegan. She's a mom. And she said she was holding her baby in her arms, like completely supporting the baby. And this baby, her name was May, is May. And baby May grabs Taylor's finger. And Taylor's like, oh, this is cute. Her whole hand fits around my finger. And then Taylor like wiggled her finger away because she had to grab something. And even though uh, Taylor was holding this baby, supporting this baby, the baby's eyes were closed and she started to cry because she was like, oh, you're not here anymore. I can't mm. feel your finger with my hand. And Taylor's like, can't you see that I'm holding you in my arms right now? <laughs> Can't you see that I'm supporting you with everything? Like, I'm not leaving you. And she said it was one of the biggest God moments for her. Yeah. Because, like, there are so many times when uh, we're like, God, can you, can you, like, hold me? And he's like, I am. He's like, yeah, but can you make it, like, known to me? <laughs> That'd be really nice because then you would be extra real. <laughs> <laughs> Neat. So, okay. Um, uh, let's keep going then. Like, uh, I guess we, we've talked a little bit about you know, childhood development in the home and parent blessings and a few examples of that. Uh, what about the church? Where, where does the parish uh, start, you know, other than this holy half hour idea, which I think is a great idea. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe there should be a podcast one day. I know there's other podcasts out there about proposing these big, crazy ideas to a pastor because that's hard. Mm -hmm. It's hard to implement some of these things, but maybe that's for a future podcast. I guess my next question is, um, holy half hour. That's a thing. I guess baptism. That's important. Yeah, quite important. How would you like to see baptism prep look? 
I would love baptism prep. This is going to sound a little controversial, perhaps. Oh, I would no. Lo- yeah, get ready for it. Here we go. Oh, no. I have to answer the emails for this. <laughs> Producer Riley and I have to answer these emails, Jason. Excellent. Let's get spicy. I would love for baptism prep to focus less on the sacrament of baptism and more on living out the promises you make in the sacrament of baptism. So I don't think it's as important for families to understand the symbol. You have to cover it. You have to, I'm not saying you don't talk about it, but you the symbolism of water and a white garment and a candle and all that kind of stuff. Like that's cool to know. But for most people, that's interesting trivia. Like with, I, th- I think about this in, in uh, conjunction with wedding prep, marriage prep, wedding prep should not focus exclusively on the liturgy of marriage or it's going to fail. Oh yeah. So um, it is neat to know what is happening during the different, different points. Like when I'm officially married is like father, son, Holy spirit, the, the rings on my finger, mm-hmm. ta-da, I am married. Yep. Like, that's the moment. Yeah. That is cool trivia. But if I didn't know that, I'd still probably be married by the end of that. Probably. Okay, cool. So you're saying that's important. <laughs> yep. That kind of thing is important. But yep. really, the marriage prep is. Yeah. The communication. And preparing the... for what comes after that wedding. Oh, my gosh. Life. Yep. Homeownership. Uh-huh. Dealing with hot water heaters. Uh-huh. Babies. Yep. Families. Forever. Yep. So just like in marriage, when we stand up there and we say our vows and good times and in bad and sickness and health till death do us part, like, yeah, that that's easy, right? How hard can that be until the sickness and the death and the bad times come? It's kind of like <laughs> country music. You know how they're like, babe, I go through fire for you. And then the fire gets really hot and they're like, babe, I didn't know how hot fire was. I am out. Yep. Love song over. <laughs> Yikes. Yep. There's a similar moment in the rite of baptism, though, where the... the priest or the deacon asks the couple, you know, you've come here to present your child for baptism and doing so you're taking on the grave responsibility of parenting and raising this child in the faith. Do you fully understand what you are about to undertake? And we all like fools say, I do. (laughs) None of us knows what is going to happen in trying to raise this kid in the faith, but I do is the line that we're supposed to say. So we say it and then we move on. But like we as a church don't prepare families, don't prepare couples for what are you actually saying? I do too. Because you notice in that prayer, it doesn't say you have taken on yourself the responsibility to get your child sacraments and to CCD. Do you fully understand what you're about to undertake? It says you are taking on the responsibility of raising your own child in the faith. And we all say, yes, I'm going to do it. Okay. It is really scary. It is really scary to say yes. Because uh, I don't think I'd know how to do it. Yep. I'm a pretty good Catholic. I give talks about things. I, I, I'm hosting a podcast. I uh, have studied it. So we say yes, I do, and that, and then where does the, the what do you think the role of the parish is in, in helping me from that point on? I think that is the critical place where the parish plays a very important role, and where we frankly let our parents down when they need us the most. What do you mean? After the birth of the first child, when they're restructuring all their social circles and they're researching everything, that's when the parish usually, typically, offers a ninety-minute baptism prep class focused on a twenty-minute event, the baptism, and then we disappear for seven to eight years. Before we show up and say, oh, your kid wants first communion. Well, you weren't in CCD last year. So first you have to repeat first grade. Here's a textbook for that. Then you need to do second grade. Here's a textbook for that. And you have to do the sacramental prep. Here's a textbook for that. I uh, <laughs> I see some sarcasm lacing what you're saying. <laughs> Just a little bit. Okay, good. <laughs> okay, but what would you prefer? Like, It's easy to burn down the house. Yeah. It's easy to take say, look at these ideas. They're not good. Let's destroy them. It's harder to say... 
what should we provide? And, and, and it's scary. The guys talk about this all the time on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Father Harrison and Father Anthony will be like this. Maybe we should admit that this isn't working mm-hmm. and that's okay. And maybe we should talk about doing something else. That's not necessarily a program. Yeah. But what, what do you think the Holy Spirit would be calling us as a parish to do? I don't care how radical it is. Yeah. I don't care if we need to tithe way more to get the staff for it. But like paint your picture of what it could look like. Yeah. I think the beautiful thing about it is it doesn't necessarily require extra staff or a whole lot of work, frankly. Um, so I try to think about it in terms of building a bridge from baptism prep to first communion prep. Um, if we can manage to position ourselves as a church that is supportive of young families and encouraging them in this promise that, that we've convinced them is worthwhile to take, promise to raise their kids in the church, uh, in the faith, uh, if we can be a resource for them in that, that's huge. Then all of a sudden, when it comes time for first reconciliation, first communion, and there are legitimate requirements for those things, yes, we're not just the ones coming through with hoops for them to jump through. We are the friend who's been walking with them for seven, eight years. And now we can say, now you're up to this critical, awesome, important moment, and there's some important things you need to do. So what that bridge from baptism prep to first communion prep looks like will be different in each setting. Um, Why I think it's easy is because every every parish of any size has parishioners willing to do any of the numerous strategies that you can do to position yourself to help families. Mm. One of those things is have some parishes call them an Elizabeth ministry. It's a meal train for families that just had a baby. Wow. Plenty of families want to cook. Plenty of families would be willing to deliver it. That would be the church saying, I love you both when you come to mass and when you're not at mass. Right. Wow. Um, you can have you can have and make it known that you have a prayer ministry for young families. You've got every parish has the, the old ladies rosary groups or the people who stay at home and pray the rosary. They would love to pray for young families and find some creative way to let families know that they're praying for them. Um, in this parish, we send baptism anniversary postcards to families 11 months after their baptism with a little handwritten note on it that says, hey, Lydia was baptized one year ago, and we give them the date because we don't expect them to remember it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it'd be awesome if you celebrated the anniversary. Go to our website backslash baptism for suggestions on how to celebrate a baptism anniversary with your baby. Wow. I say this all the time. I might have even said it on this show before, but like, you know how on my my birthday... I get like an email from Allstate Insurance yep. saying, happy birthday. I'm like, you don't care about my birthday. <laughs> it didn't kind of make me feel special. But what you're saying is like the church cared enough to say, hey, happy baptism birthday. This is just as important. So yep. we're celebrating it with a yeah. physical postcard. Yep. And we Man. only do that for the first baptism anniversary, but it would be awesome if we did that every year. Right. Up to a certain, maybe up until first communion. And then we let wow. the families remember it on their own at that point. Hey, Catholic technology developers can someone can someone develop that we need some workflow management oh and my a database. gosh <laughs> we're the biggest problem in the church uh there's a million of them but i think it's uh hr stuff man mm-hmm. a, a, internal stuff it's just the weirdest um okay cool so we've led them up to baptism um now they can uh, what, to, what when do we start doing like the in-person sort of things specifically like drop the kids off or yeah so in person i think you start that as young as possible i'm finding more and more with preschool age children there is no such thing as too much programming yeah so you basically program to what you can staff or what you have volunteers for you can do things like story times libraries do story times we could do story times that every church probably has one or two kids books laying around that they've used in a faith formation classroom um have kids come read them the book 
have a little craft out. It doesn't even have to be a super involved craft. It could be super young and have older kids show up. It could be a complicated craft and the little kids just make a mess. The whole point is create excuses for young families to get together and create community at your parish with other families who are living the same struggle. Wow. Um, you can do, we haven't done this yet, but I'm toying with, I would love to have a baptism party for any family that had a kid baptized in the last year and we wouldn't card them, but we would just invite, you know, this is for anyone who had a kid baptized in the last year. Yeah. Come have a cake. Uh, and here's a mixer question to go talk to other families about how do you pray as a family or what do you do with a screaming kid at mass? So that's when they're younger. As they get older, that's when the, the, the uh, systematic faith formation needs to happen. Okay, so, because I'm panicking here because yeah. at this point, we're talking about a lot of community and community is good. Hooray. And we're talking a lot about uh, sharing experiences and that's good. Great. And we're talking about a lot of spiritual stuff. But when are they going to learn that catechism? You know yeah. how people say it all the time? Like people say it all the time. The biggest problem with the church. I love when I hate it when people start <laughs> that sentence because, you know, the I think the best answer I've heard for that, I think our pastor says is, is uh, uh, he quotes uh, Cardinal Chaput, who says uh, the biggest problem with the church is a lack of confidence in Jesus Christ. But I, I've heard which which I like. I, I think that's that's totally dope. If you think Jesus is real as Father Harrison said in in one of his, the pod, uh, earlier podcasts, maybe like five episodes ago, six episodes ago, if you think Jesus is real, then it, it changes your life. You want to learn more. You want to do things. But like a lot of people will say then like we're doing a lot of community stuff, Jason, mm -hmm. and that's good. You're sharing your feels and stuff. Yep. But they're not doing it for like the knowledge of who Jesus is in the Eucharist and they... They can't talk about like his substance and his presence. And are they uh, of ready to argue against the atheist out there and, and stuff like that? So are, are, when are we going to beat the catechism over our kids' heads so that they're prepared, Jason? They need to be prepared. Yeah. Well, first of all, if the atheists are bringing those questions to our five-year-olds, shame on you, atheists. Go talk to an adult. But <laughs> I get your point. Yeah, so, yeah, what we're doing here is we're building the foundations of feeling like you belong to this community that's rooted in, that is the body of Christ in the world. So you're getting to know Christ by being a living member of his body before we start filling your head with the academic stuff, which is important. There, There is there is a, a, a certain amount of gravity to understanding the content, right? Because having faith in God, believing in God is twofold. It means it's believing that he exists, but it's also believing everything that he told us about himself. So if we never get to what he told us about himself, we're not... We don't have the fullest faith we could possibly have. Right. Most cases, so parents are the primary educators of their children. In most cases, parents are educating their kids by example, their own personal example, by bringing them to prayer at the church and in the home, uh, and by these, uh, I call them episodic catechetical moments. So like mm. kid asks mom, you know, my hamster died. Where did he go after death? And now all of a sudden you're talking about life and death with your, your kid. Wow. Most families aren't going to like plow through the catechism and make sure that they cover all the content of the creed in the fall semester, <laughs> get into the sacraments over Christmas break and all that sort of stuff. That's the role of the church. It's our job in faith formation classes to try to plow through all the content of the faith in a systematic way. Right. Uh, in an age appropriate and systematic way. Also equally important for us to remember that what we're doing, the church calls initiatory catechesis. Okay. Uh, it is not trying to get them to memorize every single fact in the big catechism. <laughs> right. Right. Initiatory catechesis needs to be sufficiently uh, systematic and sufficiently um, uh, broad, right, and sufficiently deep as well. But it is initiatory. You have, the whole idea is we've spent years forming this foundation in this community. 
Now we're starting to give you some education when kids are of an age where they like to learn things and they can memorize things pretty quickly and easily. But the idea is you're going to have the rest of their life, if we've done all this well, for them to get the rest of the, the facts of the faith down. Mm. So I, I think sometimes we try to squeeze too much in too quickly, which sounds like a crazy non-conservative thing to say. But uh, I think we try to teach too much too quickly at times. Uh, and then when, we, when we, it comes time to catechizing kids and trying to teach them a systematic approach to the faith, uh, we have to teach kids in the way that they learn best. Uh, and that gets into, you know, theories of intelligence and educational strategies and all that kind of thing. Uh, but probably sitting them down and reading through a glossy page textbook that has one page of doctrine and one of the paragraphs on that page is the main doctrinal point. Like, that's a waste of resources. Wow. I like what you're saying about um, uh, teaching them the way they learn. How do you find that most, let's just say, uh, K through five people are learning? Most of them are not verbal learners wow. in, the, in the sense that they don't learn best by being lectured to, yeah. uh, which is kind of the church's favorite way of teaching people. Yeah, that's how we teach. <laughs> that's literally what we do at mass. Yep. It's the whole liturgy of the word thing. Okay, right. so if we're not yeah. just lecturing them and saying, you need to do this, you need blah, 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 then what are we, woohoo, something interactive. Yes, something much more interactive. So okay. a lot of kids are kinesthetic learners. A lot of kids um, like to learn uh, by using their imagination. A lot of kids anymore, especially like when you get to like fourth, fifth, sixth grade, kids like, they like scientific manipulative things. Um, so we try to, especially with older kids in our programming, we try to do a lot of like scientific demonstrations that illustrate a faith point. So like when we're talking about um, if, if the parable of the mustard seed is something we're teaching on and we're talking about um, sharing your faith with other people and the, spreading the gospel, we'll make baking soda and vinegar volcanoes. Hey, uh, give them that wow moment when the geyser goes off uh, and talk about like, that's what Jesus was trying to get at. Like faith, the size of a mustard seed, he can do something huge. A mustard seed is a simple, boring, mundane little thing. But when you combine it with grace, it can explode. And vinegar and baking soda are these mundane little things. And when you combine them, boom, geyser. Wow. So it's kind of like any time that we experience uh, any kind of mo emotion is when we yes. remember something. Yes. Right? So like uh, the, the times when I'm most angry or the times that I'm most sad or the times when the most the, the biggest moments happen to me are normally the moments that I remember the best Yep. because I'm a human because that's how humans learn. Yeah. Like if I'm bored in class and not paying attention to the teacher, I'm not going to retain anything. Yep. Doesn't matter how doctrinally accurate and theologically specific that is. <laughs> Wait. So if I'm doing silly things for life teen, uh, life teen being the, uh, the, the program that I run, it's high school. If we do like a silly skit, isn't that just a waste of time? No. <laughs> if I do some kind of game that illustrates a point, is that a waste of time? No. Um, I'd agree. I mean, the thing is, like, if I give a talk, it's 10 minutes max, and I'm just pounding it like with, with, with like an example that so is relatable to them, and hopefully, and then like, drilling home the single point that I want them to take away, or maybe the three things I want them to walk away with, or the one thing, which is go pray about these things yeah. and then come back. And, and it's funny, like I've, it's been my experience that once people have like an encounter moment, 
maybe around middle school or high school where they have this aha moment like God is is real, I believe in him, uh, through a moment of prayer typically, uh, that they're the ones to initiate I want to learn more. Yep. It's kind of like uh, we had kids who, uh, teens who were really involved in the youth group and they've had these really great moments in prayer where they can say things like, I think God's talking to me and saying this and that. Those same teens came up to me and said, hey, Nick, can can we start a Bible study out of their own yeah, uh, yeah. initiative? And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's the same exact thing that happened to me. I mean, after my aha moment, I was like, I want to learn this. This God thing is so cool. I want to learn everything about it. When something controversial comes up in my life, I want to learn about what the church says because I love it. Yeah. Because I've already fallen in love with this thing. It's kind of the opposite. Like, you know, like to encourage this aha moment with Jesus. And then like, then comes the overflow of, of information and wanting to learn more and wanting to grow more. Um, so like, let's look at the ages of uh, middle school. Yeah. Um, this is when they're starting to ask big questions. Yeah. This the, is those seeds are really when they're younger, when they're like fourth and fifth grade. They're starting to wonder those questions, but maybe they're not articulating them yet. Questions like what? Like, how do we even know there is a God? <laughs> uh, how do we know that Jesus's religion is the right one? How mm-hmm. do we know that Jesus is God if there is a God? So there's like a, a podcast for this. Yeah. Like Pints with Aquinas, he probably addresses all these. Matt Frad probably addresses all these questions. Other uh, philosophy podcasts address these questions. You're a parent. Mm -hmm. And you don't know. You can kind of understand it when you listen to these podcasts. But how do you, quote unquote, dumb it down for a for a a middle schooler or, you know, you know, like, cause when they start asking those really big questions, what do you do as a parent? You don't know how to answer your kid. What do you do? Yeah. So this is the place of the parish. I think the role for the parish, we need to tell our parents, you're, we expect that your kids will ask you questions and we expect that you don't know all the answers. So you should expect to be able to come to us to get you resources for specific questions. So that's one, one place. Uh, But I think also as a parent, I think it's good to show your kids like, I don't have all the answers either. I have to look stuff up. Um, so if my kid asks me a question and I say, I don't really know the answer to that, but why don't we look that up together? Uh, pull out the catechism, pull out a kid's catechism. This is why I like catechisms more than textbooks. Textbooks um, are written for a specific age group. They're done. You're done using it in a year. Uh, you kind of get rid of it. You, no one ever goes back to a textbook, but a catechism is a reference book. Yeah. So you'll go back to it again, theoretically. You should be able to anyhow. So have a decent catechism in your house. If you've got middle schoolers, have a, a UCAT around uh, and go look up and see. Maybe the answer is right in there. Right. Uh, or maybe that'll give you the beginnings of an answer. And then you have all these spinoff questions. And that's where you need to call your youth minister or your DRE or your priest and say, I need some more help with this stuff. Right. But that is an awesome place to be that the kid is asking the question. Yeah. I think a lot of times parents get afraid of the question. Yeah. You know, and, and sometimes I've even known, I've even known parents to like their qu- children questioning the faith has made them doubt and they just don't do anything about it. Yeah. Cause a lot of time, especially if the kid has kept the questions to themselves for a while. And then when they finally ask a question, it's externalized as uh, they're declaring that they're an atheist or that they don't want to be confirmed because they're not sure if they believe in this religion or whatever. Most often that's just a cry for help. That's just them saying, I have a lot of questions about this God thing that aren't being answered anywhere. 
probably because they're asking questions about the nature of God and does God even exist and all that sort of stuff. And their CCD class is talking about the seven sacraments <laughs> and not even answering the question that the kid's asking. I remember one particular story that, that you told me when you were transitioning away from the textbooks at, uh, and using them in our programs and transitioning into something a little more experiential, uh, a little more um, engaging that you asked the person who was in charge of middle school at the time, or like an eighth grade class uh, mm -hmm. of CCD to write down on a piece of paper anonymously, if you believed in God uh, and then, you know, yes or no. Is the story correct mm -hmm. so far? Yeah. And to turn them into them and see what they said. What were, what were the answers? There were a lot of kids that weren't sure that God exists. And so if God doesn't exist, who cares about the sacraments? Exactly. Or who cares about that made up God's rules? So the oh. whole semester on morality just doesn't matter. <laughs> Yikes. Of course, not to be confused, we get a lot of emails. The sacraments matter. They do. They're good. <laughs> They're just about everything. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Neat. Wow. Okay, so we've gone about 50 minutes on this, which is pretty long. Um, and I, I don't want to take out the podcast much longer. Are there any, anything else you want to say while you're on the podcast? You're on Clerically Speaking. We get, we get like 10,000 <laughs> listens a week. Nice. No, I would just say that the other important piece in trying to form kids in the faith is, you know, the word of God, uh, especially the written form, the Bible. So that's the best textbook you can use out there is to try to have, have your kiddos read something in scripture about the issues that they're dealing with and just pray with it. Um, that's a lot of what we'll do in faith formation is, you know, we're teaching on the Eucharist. We'll have them read through John six, where Jesus says, I am the bread of life and you have to eat my flesh. Or you don't have life in you and just let them sit there and ponder. What did, what do you think Jesus meant by that? And let Jesus do the work. <laughs> you know how Bible studies sometimes aren't Bible studies. They're like, you read the Bible and then you faith share afterwards. Mm -hmm. So starting that, uh, uh, with a kid, good idea. Yeah. Great idea. And you don't even have to have all the answers for that. You just have to be able to encourage your kid. Let's read this together. What do you think about that? So sometimes teaching is just during the pot a little bit. Yep. Neat. Well, Jason, thank you so much for joining us. Um, if people want to find you, where can they find you? They can find me at St. John and Paul Parish in Wexford. All right. You're going to have to come here in person or go to yeah. our website <laughs> and, and don't email him too much because he's already busy. Uh, you can find me at Papa Sharapa on Twitter. Uh, thanks so much for joining us for clerically speaking. Just kidding. The lay person takeover. <laughs> hey, nice evil laugh. What? That was impromptu. I didn't even tell you to do that. Uh, you can email us at clerically speaking at gmail.com. Um, also clerically speaking.com is our website. If you want to, uh, email us any of your thoughts or intentions for uh, our priests. They so appreciate all of your prayers while they're away. Um, we'll, we will see you next time. Goodbye.